to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today we continue our study of the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And as always, or at least most of the time, I have a couple of questions to get you thinking. How many of you have recently had a mountaintop experience? See a couple of hands? Wish we had more. How many of you have recently gone through a valley? (laughs) A lot more hands and some amens. The thing that's interesting is that probably most of you, if not all of you, but it's probably not everybody, but most of you, I didn't have to explain that, did I? You knew what I meant by a mountaintop experience, a great, wonderful experience. And when I talked about, have you gone through the valley? You probably understood that I was talking about you've had a difficulty, you've had stress, you've had something that has caused problems or brought frustrations or impacted you in some negative way. And those are concepts that we have in our culture, but we also find them in the Bible. You you hear about going through the valley. I think the most famous, most popular, most well-known is Psalm 23, where it talks, where God says, as your good shepherd, I will be with you through the valley of the shadow of death. If you study God's word, you see most battles that are fought are fought in the valleys because that's where there's wide open spaces and people can fight each other. They can get to water or supplies, all that kind of stuff. So it has kind of a negative connotation. Not that all valleys are bad, but there's that idea of going through the valley. It's a difficult time. But the opposite is also true. The mountaintop. We find in, in the Bible many times that mountaintops are the place where people encounter God. They experience his presence and his power. They receive revelation. We see that in Abraham's life. We see that in Moses for sure. You know, up on Mount Sinai, up and down, up and down, meeting with God, going back to the people, getting God's, you know, covenant words, all that kind of stuff. We see it in the prophet Elijah. The great victory over the false prophets and the idol priests happened on a mountain. And we see a number of mountain experiences in Jesus' life and ministry. Next time you read through the Gospels, keep an eye. Watch out every time it mentions a mountain, okay? Times when he went there to pray. Times when he went there to meet with his disciples. uh, The Sermon on the Mount. You know, lots of mountaintop things. And we're going to be looking at one of those mountaintop experiences today. So which do you prefer, the mountaintop or the valley? Mountaintops, right? Yeah, definitely. But you know what? God allows us to experience both. And he has things that we can learn from both. I don't know about you, but I'd rather learn from the mountaintops. But to be honest with you, we probably learn a whole lot more from the valleys. Well, I am not going to focus as much on the valleys today as I am the mountaintops. So that's a good thing. But two last thoughts before we jump in. You can't live on the mountaintop. As much as we'd like to, as much as we try to, you can't live on the mountaintop. It just doesn't happen. But the last thing I'll say about valleys for today is you don't have to live in the valley. You may need to go through the valley, and it may take some time. 
God's got some things for us to experience and to learn going through the valley, and it will definitely probably last a lot longer than we'd like, but you don't have to live there. And even though I'm going a totally different direction with my message today, that may be the most important thing that some of you watching online right here that you need to hear today. You've been in a valley. It's been tough. And maybe you've given up hope and say, well, this is just what the rest of my life is going to be like. Can I tell you, I can't tell you exactly for sure what all God's going to do about your circumstances and the negativity and whatever it might be. But can I tell you that God doesn't want you to live in the valley as far as the sense of being without hope, without, be, with help, without help, without joy, without peace. God wants something better than that for you. So keep that in mind, okay? But today we're going to focus on the mountaintops. And the title of my message is Encouragement, Encouragement on the Mountaintop. There is encouragement on the mountaintop. And the good news is, is that what we can learn from this story of Jesus and Peter, James, and John up on the mountaintop can give us encouragement even if we're not on the mountaintop. Okay? We don't have to have a mountaintop experience to receive the encouragement we can learn from this mountaintop experience. The background to the story today is we're going to read it in a moment from Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 28 and going through verse 36. The last couple of weeks we've preached about that, but Jesus predicted that he was going to suffer, be betrayed, be crucified, and die and rise again. And he went on, as we looked at last week, to talk about how his disciples were blessed to be with him, but if they truly wanted to follow him, they need to be expecting that they may have to suffer too, and they all did. That if they really wanted to follow him, they need to be ready for that. They needed to deny themselves, take up their cross, meaning I'll follow you, Jesus, no matter what it costs, even if it's my death, and follow me. And it led to a lot of confusion for the disciples. And right after he said, I'm going to be betrayed, crucified, die, and raise again. He says, but if you stand with me, you'll be rewarded when I come back in glory. And he talked just very briefly about how he will come back in glory to make everything right. And then he said this very enigmatic statement. He says, and some of you here will not die before you see. At least a glimpse. He didn't say a glimpse, but that's kind of the idea of the kingdom of God in glory. And as I mentioned in the sermon last week, it's like Bible scholars still say, well, what exactly did he mean by that? Because there's a couple possibilities. But one of the most significant, I think, and realistic possibilities, he's talking about the story we're looking at today. And that is when he takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain and he has, they have an awesome, glorious experience. Rather than tell you about it, let's read about it, okay? So Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 28. It says, now about eight days after these sayings, the sayings I just related. I'm going to die, be buried, raise again, follow me. It may cost you something, but yet you'll see my glory. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. For whatever reason, Peter, James, and John seemed to be the inner circle of Jesus, the people he trusted the most in. Not that they were all that trustworthy all the time, but still, they got to be with Jesus for some very special events. So they went up on a mountain to pray. Luke mentions prayer a lot. Jesus himself chose to and needed to take time to pray, and so should we. Verse 29, and as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. 
When you read this account in the other gospels where it shares about this, it's a very, very clear picture in the original Greek words. And that is that it's not just like some bright light shone on him. It was his glory is God himself come to earth in the flesh that had been cloaked by his humanity. It just burst forth in this shining, lightning-like light just shone out of Jesus himself and out of his clothing. In other words, the glory that Jesus has as God became somewhat viewable even in his flesh by Peter, James, and John. I say somewhat because I think if they'd have seen his full glory, they'd have probably dropped dead. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Now, I don't know how they knew they were Moses and Elijah, but it's quite clear it was Moses and it was Elijah. By the way, that helps us understand that the thing that we hear every once in a while that may be disheartening, and that is we won't recognize each other in heaven, that is totally false. There's nothing in the Bible that says we won't recognize each other in heaven. Side topic. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Uh, Different translations translate that a little bit different. That word for departure is the same word as exodus. Come back to that in just a moment. It means a leaving, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. find it interesting that sometimes when it talks about Jesus praying, his disciples fall asleep. Can't be too uh, uh, negative about that. There's been many times I've tried to play and pray and fall asleep. May God help us to stay awake and alert. But they started falling asleep. Jesus is praying. Perhaps he prayed for a while. And then all of a sudden, there's this bright light. They wake up and there is Jesus in all his glory. And they're wide awake now. And they see Moses and Elijah. Verse 33, and as the men were parting from him, talking about Moses and Elijah parting from Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Peter was always good about speaking up and talking without thinking (laughs) first. But I, again, can't, I don't know if I wouldn't do the same thing. He wakes up, sees Jesus in all his glory. He says, God, man, this is great. You know, in this translation, it says tents is the same word for tabernacle. It can mean not just a shelter, but the tabernacle was the place of worship for God in the Old Testament. He could have been saying, listen, this is a phenomenal experience, Jesus. Let's just set up three different kind of shelters or tabernacles or shrines, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He says he didn't really understand what he was saying. Verse 34, and as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. This is the cloud of God's glory. It came down and eventually it enveloped them totally. So they're inside the cloud of God's glory. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. They didn't tell anybody. One of the reasons is because when they went down the mountain and one of the other gospels says, Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this right now. But another reason is they didn't understand what they just experienced. But they didn't forget it. So we're going to see in a little bit, it was something 
that provided the foundation for their relationship with Jesus and later for their ministry with Jesus, something that encouraged them when they were discouraged, something that provided the fuel for them to carry out the commission that Jesus gave them at the end before he ascended into heaven. So we have here a very unique, it's the the most unique event in Jesus' life. There's nothing else like it. A very important event in Jesus' life. And, And if we were to dig into the significance of all the details, especially about Moses and Elijah, there's all kinds of correlations. Moses and God using him to deliver. Jesus' life would be there. And we do want to talk about why is it in the Bible? What does it have to say to us today? Because if God didn't want to communicate something through it to his believers through the centuries, it wouldn't have been in the story. But why did it happen in the first place? Why did Jesus go up on the mountain and say, well, I went up to pray, right? He did that often. But why was this? It's called the transfiguration. Why was it that his glory is God shown through his humanity and that Peter, James, and John were there to see it? But there may have been a number of different reasons, but I want to focus on one particular one today, and that is encouragement. And that's why we called, or why I called this message encouragement on the mountaintop. So let me talk to you about a couple of things. First of all, I want to talk to you about the need for encouragement. The need for encouragement. You know, we all need encouragement. And that's something that doesn't catch us by surprise. We, we know that. We all know that we need encouragement. And we see a number of people being encouraged in this story. And it applies to our lives too. But the first thing that maybe you've never thought of, and that is that Jesus needed encouragement. Why did Jesus? Jesus is God. Why would he need encouragement? I believe That's one of the main reasons. Now, I'm just reading into the story based on what I know about the story and Jesus and everything he's going through. I think that's one of the main reasons that Jesus went up on the mountain and had this experience is because he needed encouragement. Why would Jesus need encouragement? He's God. He is God. He was God. He never stopped being fully God, but he was also human. Fully human. One of the great mysteries of Scripture, being fully God and fully human. And the Bible makes it clear that he experienced all the things that we as human beings experience. He experienced hunger. He experienced thirst. He experienced tiredness. We've seen all those things already in the Gospel of Luke. And I would say to you that Jesus needed encouragement. Why? He just got done talking about the fact that he knew That soon, he'd be betrayed. And he would be killed. He'd be crucified. He would die. He also knew that he would raise again. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I face situations in my life where there's something I am dreading and I am not looking forward to going through. And it's going to be better on the other side, but it's still something I am not looking forward to. And we can't even begin to understand what Jesus might have felt in his humanity. I was saying, how can we kind of get a grasp of this? And this is a very um, incomplete illustration or whatever, but could you imagine knowing that within the next 6 to 12 months, you are going to be kidnapped by terrorists and tortured to death? Not just you're afraid it might happen, but you knew. I mean, that's we can't even really fully imagine that, but... Jesus knew, and this is going to be six to 12 months from now, Jesus knew all the things that he was going to go through. 
And Jesus could have gone a different direction, but that was the plan, that he would go through it so that his death would provide the salvation for our sins. And he was determined to do it. So I believe that him talking with Moses and Elijah about his departure, his exodus is the actual word that is there, was not just so they could talk about the details, but was to bring encouragement. To bring encouragement. And if you look close, you see that those aren't the only times that Jesus received encouragement, and I believe it's because he needed it. The first time was a joyous occasion, so it probably wasn't that he was dreading anything, but at his baptism... You may remember that his baptism, God spoke something very similar. He spoke in this story. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And it started him off in ministry. But immediately following that, he went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Went through a grueling 40 days of being tempted. Probably far beyond we could imagine. And it says at the very end that God sent angels to minister to him. I believe that was a time of encouragement. You know, several of the Gospels talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is wrestling with what he's going to face that very night and the next day with the crucifixion. And he prays, God, if there's some other way, let's go that way. But Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He sweat as if great drops of blood. Luke tells us a detail the other ones don't tell us. And that is that in the midst of that prayer, God sent angels to encourage him, to comfort him to strengthen him. Jesus needed encouragement. I believe that that's one of several reasons that he spent time with God every day in prayer. Even after a late night, he'd get up early to go pray. Even at the end of a long day, he would go and he would pray. He would climb a mountain to get away from everybody so he could pray. It's because Jesus wanted, Jesus needed encouragement. I believe we also see in this story that the disciples needed encouragement. We've talked a lot over the last couple of weeks that they had one view of the Messiah, which was partly true but not fully true. And when they realized Jesus is the Messiah, they got the wrong view. He just told them that if they're going to really follow him, they have to be willing to even face their own death because of following them. And there's confusion, this fear, maybe some anxiety. It's like, what did he mean by that? Was he talking figuratively or literally? The disciples would be facing so much in the months and years to come. I believe that this event for them, at least one part of that, was to encourage them. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, they did look back on this event and it did provide that encouragement that they needed. But as we talk about what does it mean to us today, we see the same thing. We need encouragement. We need encouragement. We go through those valleys. We deal with the downs of life. Even if it's not a deep valley, even if it's not an overwhelmingly distressing situation, we have to put up with a lot of junk because we live in a fallen world. How many of you discover that even if you're a Christian, you've put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? You please put an end to this, and one day he will. When Jesus comes back as Messiah and sets up God's kingdom. There is that hope. Not that, like, I hope it does, but that hope, I know it's going to happen, but in between, there's ebbs and flows. It may let up for a little while, and we pray for those times, but it's never going to totally let up until Jesus comes back. It it always kind of tickles me a little bit, you know, when we talk about end times, we must be living in days, the very last months, the very last years before Jesus comes back. 
But the Bible makes it very clear that when we get into that time period, it's going to get really bad. But we keep praying, God, make it better. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying it's, always, it's kind of a paradox for us as believers. You know, we don't want it to get worse. But that's what's going to take before Jesus comes back. So anyway. But we need encouragement because we face all these things. Just in everyday, ordinary life, but also the spiritual battles that we face. The many ways in which the enemy comes against us, we need encouragement. And we see that in this story. Jesus needed encouragement. The disciples needed encouragement. We need encouragement. Let's talk for a couple minutes about the message of encouragement. I'm so glad that God's word is so full of messages of encouragement. We've got all of God's promises. We've got what we just talked about a minute ago. Our world is in a mess and it may get worse before it gets better. But one day Jesus is coming back to take care of all this junk. And it'll be settled for all eternity. And if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're on the good side. We've got eternity with God. No more sin, sorrow, sickness, death, disease, none of that stuff. There's so much encouragement in Scripture. And there's a lot of encouragement in this story. But I just want to focus on two main thoughts I think God laid on my heart about the encouraging things that I see in this, in this passage. And the first one is this. There is much more going on behind the scenes than we realize. We can only see the physical. We can only experience, feel the physical. Hear, you know, that which is actually in the auditory range. But there's so much that is going on behind the scenes. And that's manifested in the fact that Jesus, God, come in the flesh, but his glory as God has been cloaked by his humanity. And so the disciples see him, they follow him, he's different than everybody else. They're growing in their understanding of who he might be. But all of a sudden, behind the scenes is revealed, and boom, they see Jesus in all his godly glory. There's a reality they've not experienced yet, and they won't experience it again in their lifetime, that particular reality, but it doesn't make it any less real. There is much more going on behind the scenes than we realize. And I believe that God wanted to use this in the disciples' lives to realize that, you know what, you see this, you see that. You saw Jesus as a man and you grew to know him as a phenomenal man and a great teacher, maybe a prophet, the Messiah, whatever it might be, but there's still a whole lot more to Jesus than what you know. But the same thing is true of all of life. Whatever it is that you are going through, whatever it is that you may face, as difficult as it might be, as good as it might become, there's still a whole lot more going on behind the scenes. And the good news is God's in control of all of it. That should be a word of encouragement to us today. Whatever it is that you're facing today, a financial difficulty, some kind of problem in your body, a relationship issue, wrestling with a particular habit or sin... There's stuff going on behind the scenes and God is on your side if you trust in him. There's much more going on behind the scenes than we realize. Paul talks about it being the spiritual realm and the physical realm and he talks about spiritual warfare and we fight not against flesh and blood but these principalities and powers and Ephesians 6, he talks about the armor of God which is all character issues and spiritual issues so we can deal with that which happens behind the scenes. He, he entreats us, he, he encourages us, listen, don't just look at the things you see in this world but see behind it to the eternal things, see behind it to the heavenly things. You live in this world but don't forget you are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So we need to get in our mind there's a lot more going on than just what we see and experience. And it's good, and it's God. It's going to help us. A story you can read later in 2 Kings chapter 6. 
the prophet Elisha spends the night in this town with his servant and they wake up in the morning and there is our army camp totally and completely around the city. From the well possibly. We don't know, but he comes back and says, Elisha, we're in trouble. He says, why? There's an army all around. And Elisha says, there are more for us than there are with them. And he prays and prays, says, Lord, open his eyes. And it says the servant goes out God opens his eyes and he sees this angelic army that's so much bigger and more powerful than the army that has come. And you can read the rest of the story, what happens. But that's the reality in the spiritual realm. Whatever you might be facing may seem like an overwhelming army that's come against you and there's no way out. But God is on your side as you trust in him. As you trust in him. It was when we want him to end well yesterday. We're frustrated they haven't ended well yet. We really don't want to wait much longer. And I can't tell you, every person's situation and circumstances are different. Your situation may end well this afternoon, tomorrow, this week, this month. Or you may still have to stay in a difficult situation for the rest of your life. But you know what? If you trust in Jesus, it will end well. We see this in this story in Jesus himself. He's up there. His glory is revealed. It wasn't for his benefit. It was for Peter, James, and John. He's being encouraged by Moses and Elijah. They're talking about his death. But you know what? His death isn't the end. And that may be one of the things that Moses and Elijah are talking to him about. We don't know. We just know the topic of conversation. They may be saying, Jesus, you can do this, you know. I know you know you can do it, but we're here to encourage you. Just remember, you're going to go through this, but it's not the end. You will raise from the grave. You will ascend to heaven. You will be right back at the right hand of your Father in heaven. And one day you will come back. And everything will be made right. One of the most horrific events in the history of the world was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But one of the most significantly wonderful events, wonderful in the sense of its effect, was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. God took the worst thing that could possibly happen and turned it into the best thing that could possibly happen. The opportunity for us to be saved from our sins because of what Jesus did. So, Jesus was encouraged, I believe, by Moses and Elijah, but I believe he was also encouraged by the voice of his father. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. I've already alluded to the fact that this was very encouraging to the disciples. We don't see it talked about in this story or much afterward. But we know for a fact, because it's written in God's word, that the disciples, Peter and John in particular, James died very quickly after Jesus ascended into heaven. He was put to death. An example of God had his hand on James's life, and in his situation, he allowed him to be put to death. But the very next week, he delivered Peter out of jail. Why? Different plans for different people. But Peter and John, who did live on, they would look back at this event and it would motivate them. It would encourage them. They would realize there is more going on behind the scenes than we realize. And as we trust in God, God will bring good things to come out of it and it will work out. Seeing Jesus in his glory reinforced what Jesus said about his coming in his father's glory to set up his kingdom. They didn't fully understand what was going to happen until much later. But they had this memory in their mind to encourage them, to motivate them, to empower them. We see each of them refer to it in a a later writing. In John, 
John was there. He was one of those three. And when God called him to write his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Little interesting tidbit you don't catch in the English. When it says the word became flesh, the word God became human and dwelt among us. That word for dwelt is the verb form of tent or tabernacle. The same word Peter says, let's set up three tents, three tabernacles. And by the way, the reason that was kind of just dismissed is that you can't live on the mountaintop. You know, Peter said, oh, let's just stay here. This is such a wonderful experience. And no, that's not going to happen. We got work to do down in the valleys. But the same word, Jesus dwelt. He tabernacled just like God dwelt in the tabernacle in the wilderness among his people. Jesus came and tabernacled among his people on this world. The word become flesh. God cloaked in humanity. Peter was also on that mountain. But when he wrote his book, his letter, his second book, 2 Peter 1, verses 16 to 18, He's talking about going through all this stuff in life and how he's preaching the gospel and he's presenting the truth to the people. They need to accept it and live by all that kind of stuff that all the different disciples and apostles wrote about and talked about. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him from the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. You can tell that this is a memory of many memories but one that really stands out in Peter's mind. Things may get tough but they will end well if we follow God's plan. I want to give you three passages of Scripture that I cling to. I challenge you to memorize them. If not word for word, although there's nothing wrong, it would be great to do that, but to memorize their essence. The first one is Romans 8.18. Paul is writing, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He said, we're going to go through some tough stuff. We are going through some tough stuff. And Paul went some, through some horrific stuff. He says, but you know what? If we could compare that with the good stuff that's coming, it's nothing. It's nothing. He said something similar in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 to 18. For this light, momentary affliction. If you don't know, Paul say he didn't go through much. No, he went through a lot. But he said, compared to what's coming. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. See, you got to see beyond the stuff that we can see. you got to see to what's happening behind the scenes, the much more that's happening that we accept by faith and based on the promises of God. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And then one of my very favorite verses. I know I always say i got a favorite verse. This is in my top ten. Definitely in my top ten. Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things, not most things, not some things, not the majority of things, but all things 
work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That is not trying to say that all things are good. It is not trying to say that God thinks all things are good. It's just saying that whatever bad, whatever evil, whatever, whatever, whatever might be coming our way, if we trust in God, God can and will bring good out of it. He will. The last thing I want to talk to you about is the source of the encouragement. Here's a thought that came to my mind. We are encouraged when we see things as they really are or as they will be. That's true of Jesus, true of the disciples. We're encouraged when we see things as they really are, which is not just what we see in front of us, okay? It's the stuff behind the scenes. And we may only see it by faith, but we can be encouraged as we see things as they really are or will be. We get sidetracked or blinded by only focusing on this world and what we see right in front of us, what we're experiencing right now. And God says, look beyond that. Look beyond that. Say, well, how do I do that? There's some hints in this passage. I'm going to give them to you really quick. Four hints. Four things that we build into our lives. Four things that we, 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 we engage ourselves in as we're following Jesus. So that we're not just caught up in this world, but we see beyond to the world to come. And all that God is doing behind the scenes and our faith and our hope is built in him. And we are encouraged. These four things. And you won't be surprised you've heard them before. The first one is spend time with God. Spend time with God. Still amazes me sometimes when I talk to Christians and say, oh, I know I should spend time with God. I really should do it every day, but I get so busy. I mean, between school and work and family and home and this and that and the other, and I, I struggle. And I know it's a struggle. Your enemy will keep you from that more than anything else. Jesus made time every day. Jesus would climb mountains to get away where he could be private. He climbed a mountain this time. This is all about, this story is all about him. Peter, James, and John spending time with God. And there are times that we need to plan for. They're often called retreats, whatever. You may go off to a convention where you get away from everyday normal life. A vacation can be that way too. If you built in that whole spiritual component and deliberately focus on that. You get away from the normal activities and people and places, the distractions, and it'll take effort. But these guys climbed a mountain. But we don't need to wait until just, just until we have time to go away for a retreat or something. We need to make those places every day. I believe that's why Jesus said when he's teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, when you pray, go into your closet and shut the door. Now, you can do that literally, but basically what he's saying is find a place where you can leave everything else behind and be focused on your father. So spend time with God. Jesus did this all the time. This story is just one example. Second one is pray, and that's part of spending time with God. Pray. Pray. Luke mentions this so much that Jesus prayed. Before every major event of Jesus' life, it says he prayed, and then he chose the 12 disciples. He prayed, and then he was led into the wilderness. He prayed. You know, he's constantly praying before every major event. And it also says he's praying just every day. If you don't know how to pray, there's so many resources that can help you to develop that in your life and make it meaningful. But can I tell you, the most important thing you can do is do it. 
Sometimes we put off trying to develop a prayer life because we don't feel like we know how to do it. And so we don't do it because we're not sure if we're going to do it right. Just do it. Just talk to God about anything and everything. Pray. The third thing, listen and obey. I I put that in there. You know, it says in this passage that God spoke from heaven and said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. In Scripture, anytime you hear an authority figure, spiritual authorities talk about listening, it's always assumed that if you're really listening, you're going to follow through. Okay? So it includes the obedience. Listen and obey. Listen and obey. We do that primarily through God's Word. Again, spending that time in God's Word. And if you don't read well, listen to it. You actually be fulfilling it more literally. Listen and obey. This has come up in the last couple of messages for whatever reason, but at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. That's talking about your life. You want a solid foundation? When the rains and the storm come, it's not washed away. It doesn't collapse. That comes from listening but obeying. But note that's in the context of the rains and the storms coming. You're going to have those tough times. But that's where the foundation is, listening and obeying. And the fourth and last one that we see in the story is get close to godly friends. I tried to think of a more poetic way to say that and, you know, whatever. I thought, no, let's just, let's just get down. Get close to godly friends. So much in Scripture. You become like the people you hang out with. They can be a discouragement. They can be an encouragement. They can lead you the wrong way. They can lead you the right way. You need good, godly f- But you've got to have those people. Jesus on the mountain had Moses and Elijah. The disciples had Jesus while he was still on this earth, but then they had each other. That's why he sent them out two by two. They weren't by themselves. Get close to godly friends. It's a need we all have. We like to think, I can make it on my own. If you're ever in a situation where you have no church and it's choice and it's just you and Jesus, it'll be okay. But God established things. Jesus established the church so that we need one another and we should be taking advantage of that. Can I tell you that that's one of the biggest concerns that I have as a pastor And we're going to talk about it a little bit at our leadership meeting today. We have people that are part of our church, and you've been part of the church since before we came 18 and a half years ago. Or you've come a good long while ago or whatever. And you've gotten involved in the church, you're involved. In fact, every time the doors are open, just about you're here. When there's an event, you're there. And you have developed such good, strong, close relationships. You've got a whole handful of people that you know you can count on if you need to go to them to support you, to encourage you, and whatever. But I also see as newer people come into the church that one of two things happen. Either they do the same thing, they begin to develop relationships, you know, whatever it takes to see that deepen and develop and stuff, going to activities. Because it's not going to happen just sitting there listening to me talk to you. As important as that can be in communicating God's word, that doesn't do a lot for strengthening relationships. There has to be other things. Our fellowship after service today, great opportunity. Don't just zip out the door, stick around, get to know some new people. You know, deepen some relationships. 
But then sometimes I see people, they come in and they come in and they sit, they listen, they leave. They never really develop deep relationships. I think they're so missing out. And unfortunately, sometimes I see those people just begin to drift away. Not saying they've drifted away from God. I don't know because they're not here anymore. But many times it's because they've never found that fellowship, that encouragement that comes from really getting close to people. Now, I'm not saying you need to open up your life and your heart and everything to just the first person you come across. We're human. We'll let each other down sometimes. I'm going to let you down sometimes. That's never my intent. So we need to be led by the Spirit and and feel things out and develop deeper relationships as God leads us to those people that we know we can trust. But God has people like that for you. Even if you've been hurt in the past because you opened yourself up, God has people like that for you and you need them. And you know what? They need you. They need you. So you want to receive this encouragement. You want to have that foundation that'll get you through the valleys, in between the mountaintops. Spend time with God. Pray. Listen and obey. Join with your brothers and sisters in Christ and be there for each other. I say, we hear this all the time. Pastor, whenever you, know, whenever you preach, you usually bring this kind of stuff. Whenever Pastor Jan preaches, he always, she always brings it because it's basic and it's so needed. We need to be reminded. We need to be stirred. We need to be spurred. I want to challenge you. Enjoy your mountaintops. But realize you can't live there. Peter had to realize that. And learn from your valleys. And in the valleys, look to Jesus. But don't stay there. But be encouraged. There's much more going on behind the scenes than you realize. And things may get tough, but they will end well if you follow God's plan. All of this assumes that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We celebrated communion today to remember the fact that he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And we need to put our faith and trust in him and what he did for us rather than ourselves. We need to come to him and ask for forgiveness. Surrender our lives to him. And if you've never done that, I, we would love to have the opportunity to talk with you if you've got questions or to pray with you to see that happen have a time of prayer. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite our elders to come, Pastor Jan, any of our prayer team members, if you're here and you'd like to participate, we're going to conclude the service in just a couple of moments and go into a time of fellowship and then later a leaders meeting. But right now, if you have anything you would like somebody just to join with you and pray about, we're going to just invite you to come. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song. It may not be for you, it may be somebody else you care about and you want somebody to join with you to pray for them that's what we're here for. So as we worship, respond to God, come for prayer, we'll close in just a couple of moments. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.